tonight on NJ Spotlight News. This is a big night for Democrats. Call it a big blue wave, not the anticipated red one, as state Democrats notch major legislative wins to seal most of the power in Trenton. Also, was it abortion rights, offshore wind, or parental rights that ultimately drove New Jerseyans to the polls? While economic issues are always the, the fundamentals of the cake that is an election, it's the icing on top that attracts voters. And, and this year, the icing was about culture wars. But until January, it'll be a lame duck session. So much unfinished business from those currently occupying the seats in the State House. There are just too many bills which would make our democracy stronger and that prioritize racial and social justice. And getting the lead out. I go to bed with lead on the brain and I wake up the same way. Billions of federal dollars now on its way to replace lead lines in 10 towns across the Garden State. NJ Spotlight News begins right now. Funding for NJ Spotlight News is provided by NJM Insurance Group, serving the insurance needs of residents and businesses for more than 100 years. Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey, an independent licensee of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Association. And by the PSEG Foundation. From NJPBS, this is NJ Spotlight News with Brianna Venozzi. Good evening and thanks for joining us this Wednesday night. I'm Brianna Venozzi. Democrats swept the state in Tuesday's election with a string of legislative wins in battleground districts across New Jersey, solidifying the party's control of power in Trenton under a newly drawn legislative map and expanding their majority in the assembly by picking up five seats when all was said and done, including one in the deeply red 30th district. Two big wins came from South Jersey for now Senators-elect John Berzicelli and Paul Moriarty and a huge victory at the Jersey Shore in District 11 for incumbent Democrat Vin Gopal. Democrats won by big margins in other districts that mattered in North and Central Jersey. The loss, though, was unexpected for Republicans who went into the general election feeling confident with hopes of capitalizing on the momentum of 2021 when the GOP was able to gain seven seats in the legislature. The party, though, did manage to hold on to a handful of important incumbent seats and make pickups at the county level across New Jersey. But it wasn't a match for Democrats' fundraising, early get-out-the-vote efforts, and a senior political correspondent, David Cruz, reports hitting on the issues that mattered most to those who went to the polls. The biggest thing is the issues that we have raised are the ones that people, voters, want to talk about. And we've changed the, the dialogue in the state. State Republican Chairman Bob Hugan sounded like a man on the cusp of a big night for his party. Within two hours, it was clear, though, that state voters were having a totally different conversation. Instead of a red wave, Tuesday's election results solidified Democrats' hold on the state legislature, dealing a blow to Republicans who seem to have Democrats on the defensive leading into Election Day. What our polling was showing us is that the Republicans were winning on the culture wars, that they were they were motivating their base. They were getting a few extra thousand voters in each of these districts to come out because of that. The Democrats needed to counter that. In the third district where incumbent Republican Senator Ed Durr had some of the most strident rhetoric, 
Democrat John Bersicelli returned the seat to Democrats. He said Dare's comments on abortion especially resonated. And I think women's issues played a very big part in this race. Uh, my opponent had said some things that, that offended women, and, uh, and, and they rallied to say to him, that's not something we accept, it's not something we're going to have. Uh, I, think that, I think that was the driving issue. Governor, how, how are you feeling here tonight? I'm feeling great. I love this guy. Governor Murphy was exuberant as he joined the night's marquee winner, Senator Vin Gopal, who beat back a torrent of negative ads and some outright false charges to not only become the first Monmouth County Democrat to win a third term, but to return the assembly seats to Democratic control. Adding two Democratic women to the lower chamber, and says Murphy, confirming that the Democrats' message hit home. It's huge. I don't know what else to say. It's a huge validation of our collective agenda. Vin has been extraordinary. Luann and Margie are extraordinary. Uh, this is a big night for Democrats, and it's a, it's a big night for them in particular. Thank How do you. you. Think about, uh, the response, the Republican, you know, really latched onto the culture wars this year. How do you think Democrats? Yeah, they were wrong. They clearly, clearly were wrong. You look at the room around us right here. Probably a third of these people are registered Republicans. A lot of Republican mayors and council people here. They were tired of the Monmouth County and state Republican Party culture wars and trying to tear school districts apart. They want to talk about the residents here and the overwhelming near 60% that supported our ticket. We want to talk about mental health care funding, teacher shortages, taxes, affordability, and civility. Bringing people together, not tearing them apart. Uh, and I think this should be a very loud message for our opposition today. For Republicans, a period of soul searching and perhaps even some political purging may be about to begin. They're not cool with the vibe we put out. Senator John Bramnick is one of the few Republicans to come out smiling last night. He said the Trump-inspired messaging of some of his fellow Republicans was off-putting, even if voters agreed with some of the core of the message. First, we have to be trusted. Second, when we talk about an issue, you don't do it in a mean-spirited way. You don't do it in sound bites. If you want to talk about the issue of parental rights, okay, talk about it. Talk about, you know, when, but don't act as if transgender children shouldn't have rights. Not exactly the tone Republicans have been pushing for the past year, but after last night, Bramnick thinks the takeaway for Republicans should be, read the room. I'm David Cruz, NJ Spotlight News. Democrats said they took hard-learned lessons from 2021 into last night's election, and that prevented a GOP win from materializing. But there was also low turnout, primarily the party faithful showing up at the polls. So what really made the difference for those who cast a ballot? Joining me now are Monmouth University poll director Patrick Murray and Ashley Koning, director of the Eagleton Institute of Politics. Ashley Koning, Patrick Murray, thank you so much uh, for coming back on the show after what I know was a very late night for everyone. Pat, let me start with you. Democrats didn't just hold on to their majority. They actually picked up seats last night. How did this happen? Uh, yeah, it's kind of a surprise because uh, turnout was not much 
bigger overall statewide than it had been uh, four years ago in a very low turnout election of only 27 percent of registered voters. Uh, but it was big in some key areas. It was big in Monmouth County in the 11th district. It was big in Gloucester County in particular, where the third and the fourth district uh, and resulted in a pickup and a hold on uh, for the Democrats. And so they turned out voters where they needed to turn them out. Uh, as we know, um, you know, Ashley's polling, my polling showed that uh, while economic issues are always the, the fundamentals of the cake that is an election, it's the icing on top that attracts voters. And, and this year, the icing was about culture wars. And Democrats were able to get out enough of their voters to make a big difference in those key races. Yeah, let's talk about that poll, Ashley. Um, Eagleton dropped yesterday just in time for the election, which um, sort of turned on its head what a lot of analysts had been talking about leading up to the election, that these culture war issues were going to play a big role in galvanizing the base. What, in fact, uh, did galvanize voters? Well, so voters uh, ahead of the election said it was really the economy and taxes. This has been on their the top of their minds perennially since, you know, in the 50 years we've been polling. Economy, taxes, property taxes, especially cost of living and affordability, those were their top answers. And then when asked about how much it will factor into their vote, 80% plus New Jersey registered voters mentioned that these will all play a major factor. In comparison, just over a majority said the same about abortion and said the same when it came to parental involvement in education. One of the things I like to say about New Jersey is that our motto shouldn't be liberty and prosperity. It should be live and let live. We're a densely populated state, very diverse. We don't want you getting into our business. And what happened was Republicans were successful when they kept that at bay, that New, that New Jersey Republicans were a different kind of Republican focused on core economic bread and butter issues. That's not the case anymore. And so if they're going to get back to winning anything in, in the state, it's got to be to kind of get rid of that kind of, kind of that populism, Trumpism, culture wars issues that has been have been driving uh, the Republican Party nationwide and now here in New Jersey over the last few years. Ashley, I see you uh, nodding your head. I take it that you agree. And also we talked a lot about whether or not uh, the abortion issue in a state like New Jersey where it's settled law would come to play here. And I do wonder if that was one of the culture war uh, topics that drew some of the Democratic base out. Yeah, we certainly, like Patrick said, have seen a nationalization of politics everywhere throughout the country. And now it's pervading into New Jersey as well. And we've, we've seen this really since 2021. But the reason why 2021 and the gubernatorial was so close was because Chitterelli pulled out those common sense issues at the very end. In terms of abortion, I think we're going to have to see how the numbers played out, especially where we saw strong turnout. Did we see younger voters? Did we see women come out more to vote? You know, I think that's all going to be in the numbers later on as, as they come out and, and we get to dig into them more. But certainly this has been a driving force in the 2022 midterms and even around the country last night. Just look at Ohio. So certainly more impactful for the Democrats than the Republican culture wars messaging. Yeah, nationwide, it was a good night for Democrats. All right, Ashley Koning, Patrick Murray, thank you so much. The wins and losses are already in the rearview mirror for lawmakers who are being confronted by more than two dozen progressive groups from around the state over a number of bills and other priorities they want to see legislators get to work on right away. Senior correspondent Joanna Gagas has that story.
Today, we have about 28 organizations and nearly 100 volunteers across the state who are going to be hand-delivering our people's lame duck agenda to every single legislative office. In a rare display of such coordinated solidarity, nearly 30 social justice groups gathered for a virtual event today to call out Trenton lawmakers, most of whom just won re-election last night, for letting about 20 bills stall that they say would have tremendous impact on New Jerseyans, in particular working class families and black and brown communities. It's time to get back to Trenton and keep on working on behalf of the people of New Jersey. There are just too many bills which would make our democracy stronger and that prioritize racial and social justice that have really just languished for the better part of two years. There are close to 20 bills that the group says were written but then never given a hearing or never pushed all the way through on issues like police reforms. Introduce and advance a Senate version of Assembly Bill 5326, which would establish community-led first response pilot programs as an alternative to police response for mental health, substance use, and behavioral health calls. Also, we're at urging the legislature to codify the attorney general's use of force directive. That directive came from New Jersey's previous attorney general, Gerbeer Graywall. If codified, it would significantly strengthen protections against police use of force for people in the state beyond any administration. Other bills focus on issues like jury service for the formerly incarcerated. Currently, almost a quarter of New Jersey's black population is barred from serving on a jury. A977 S3043, the jury service bill, would ensure that individuals individuals who have served their time and regained their freedom have the opportunity to serve on a jury. The right to a jury of one's peers is at the core of our justice system and democracy. And increasing voter rights and access. Several reports coming out yesterday about voters who missed the registration deadline, uh, which is 21 days before the election for one reason or another. And they were essentially disenfranchised and forced to sit out, you know, be on the sidelines of our democracy. It doesn't need to be that way, especially when we have all the tools that we need to implement same-day voter registration. Yet other bills would address what advocates say are discriminatory housing appraisal practices that happen in the state. Discriminatory home appraisals limit the ability of New Jerseyans of color, particularly black residents, to build intergenerational wealth through home ownership. A1519S777, the appraisals bill, seeks to rectify this by protecting against appraisal discrimination. And numerous calls to action for increased immigrant protections. Outsider influence at the ballot box, today's statewide action demonstrates the growing organizing prowess of immigrants who are fighting for racial, social, and economic justice. Our communities stand ready to demand increased language access, visibility through data disaggregation, and protection from deportation with the Values Act. And calls for tax changes, including making the corporate business tax surcharge permanent to fund NJ Transit. New Jersey Working Families and our partners, we have been fighting to make sure that we do not give away $1 billion to the most profitable corporations at the expense of working families. And last night, New Jersey was clear. Instead of our legislature, legislature looking over our shoulder, we should look forward with a transformational vision for our state. They say the time to act is now in this lame duck session to finally push these bills over the finish line like their legislators promised. I'm Joanna Gagas, NJ Spotlight News. 
In fact, it's been more than four months since any legislation has been passed in New Jersey. Lawmakers haven't met for committees or votes since the budget passed at the end of June. When they do return to Trenton later this month, it could be one of the most consequential lame duck sessions in recent years. Budget and finance writer John Reitmeyer joins me now with a look at what's on their to-do list. John, good to see you again. The dust has barely settled from this election, but lawmakers, they've got a lot of work to do. What's lingering on their agenda that they haven't gotten to in, in the last few months? Yeah, really, there's, there's a whole host of issues that were sort of put to the side before the legislature really broke for the summer and then to get ready for this election. And so whether we talk about the reforms that have been uh, much discussed when we, when we look at the veterans' homes in New Jersey, which faced a lot of big issues that were exposed during the worst days of the COVID-19 pandemic, all of the clean energy legislation, sort of that was an issue that percolated a little bit during the election, but there's actually a lot of policy uh, that's up for debate when it comes to this climate change response and the governor's clean energy agenda that's still still up for uh, pending, you know, in the legislature. Um, judicial vacancies. Yeah. We have the court system is still bogged down with a lot of openings at the superior court level when it comes to filling the ranks of the judges. A teacher shortage. Uh, we have um, concerns about NJ Transit's long-term financial health to 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 take on whether that'll happen in the lame duck or, or before we get to the next fiscal year remains to be seen, but a whole host of issues. And then lawmakers can also introduce a whole new batch of bills coming out of the uh, break as well. And so that could also play out. Is this typical for lame duck? Uh, because this has been a particularly long stretch of inactivity. We've seen it before. We've seen lawmakers sort of in, in the, the way of trying to avoid anything controversial that could upset voters, take these long pauses. Perhaps this year's a little different because we have a lot of turnover that's going to happen, not necessarily as a result of the election, but because we had a lot of lawmakers who had already announced that they were retiring. So we're gonna have a, a whole new crop come in in January, but that also means we have a whole bunch of lawmakers who are going to be able to cast votes and then not have to sort of live with the consequences and face voters once right. again because they're stepping down. Yeah, and with that turnover, I mean, it's about a quarter, it is a quarter of the entire legislature that either retired, was running for a different seat. And so are there any issues that could just completely languish because those lawmakers are going to be out of a seat uh, not too long from now? Yeah, I think that's a really good question because on one hand, it gives them the flexibility to sort of maybe do something that they that could be really good public policy that they might not feel like they have the, the leeway to do when they're having to run for re-election. On the other hand, there could be these policies that are hard to get to the finish line that are maybe not so much good public policy that then they feel emboldened to vote for because they don't have to answer to voters anymore. So we might expect to see a little more controversial uh, topics come up I wouldn't rule it out. John Reitmeyer, budget and finance writer for us. Thanks, John. You're welcome. 22 Democrats, including New Jersey's Congressman Josh Gottheimer, broke with the party in a vote late Tuesday night, joining House Republicans to censure Representative Rashida Tlaib. She's the only Palestinian-American member of Congress. The vote formally rebukes the Michigan Democrats' comments about the Israel-Hamas war and her use of the slogan, From the River to the Sea, which pro-Israel critics say is a rallying cry for the destruction of Israel, while others see it as a call for freedom and liberation for the Palestinian people. 
The resolution accuses her of promoting false narratives around the October 7th Hamas attack on Israel, in which more than 1,400 people were killed and hundreds were taken hostage by the militant group, including Americans who remain unaccounted for. Censure is a punishment that's considered one step below expulsion in Congress. New Jersey Congressman Rob Menendez said the vote unfairly targets a Congress member's right to free speech, though called Tlaib's words objectionable. The Congresswoman emotionally defended her words on the House floor, saying her criticism has always been of the Israeli government as she called for a ceasefire. She says diverse voices like hers are being silenced for standing up for human rights. According to the Hamas-run health ministry, more than 10,000 Palestinians have been killed by the Israeli military in the war. Most are civilians, though the White House has cast doubt on those numbers. Turning now to Wall Street for our Spotlight on Business report. Stocks struggled today after a week-long rally, snapping the longest winning streak in roughly two years. Analysts say that may have to do with words of caution from some of the more hawkish members of the Federal Reserve about whether interest rates have peaked. Here's today's closing trading numbers. Every lead and galvanized water service line in New Jersey needs to be replaced over the next several years. And now 10 towns across the state are getting help from the Biden administration to speed up the process of replacing those lines. This week, officials from the Federal Environmental Protection Agency dropped into the Garden State to announce a new partnership that will remove the old pipes and ensure residents have access to safe drinking water. Senior correspondent Brenda Flanagan has the story. I go to bed with lead on the brain and I wake up the same way. Trenton community organizer Cheryl Snyder says like many capital city residents, she had the drinking water service lines to her dad's home checked for lead last year. Amidst Trenton Waterworks' effort to maintain quality standards, it's also been working to replace the lead lines with maybe 20,000 to go. It's critical work. When I saw the pipe servicing my water like a straw, I was disturbed and sick to my stomach. For years, I was drinking and cooking with water that was coming from a corroded service line. Lead was leaching into the water coming to, into our home. We're in the second phase of, of lead service line replacement. And while our money is uh, drying out, we hope to get some federal assistance and and grant money so that we can finish the job. Trenton's mayor isn't alone. Across New Jersey, local water utilities face a state deadline to find and replace lead service lines within the next eight years. This week, the EPA announced a lead service line replacement accelerators program that will help 10 New Jersey towns meet their goals. Blackwood, Camden, Clementon, East Newark, Harrison, Keensburg, Keyport, New Brunswick, Trenton, and Ventnor. New Brunswick's about 25 done. It is painstaking, um, it is uh, somewhat expensive, uh, and it is labor-intensive. 
Statewide, New Jersey's got an estimated 143,000 lead service lines that need to be replaced and a million more of unknown composition. Money's available to fix it. The federal bipartisan infrastructure law set aside $15 billion. We've ended up with about $150 million approximately each of the last two years for New Jersey, and that will continue. It's not enough to just uh, allocate resources for this. You've got to help communities in being able to access the dollars. You've got dated records from well over a hundred years ago that don't completely show you where all those lines are. So we're investing resources to partner the water systems with a consultant that is going to help them hold their hand throughout the process. And if you're a capacity stretched community with a tiny budget, the idea of just adding this one more task to your already long list of things local governments must do, it might feel overwhelming. So that's why we're going to help get it done for you. Tapping into the $15 billion federal infrastructure fund requires towns to collect data. How many lead service lines do they have to replace? Where are they? And what's the plan? The EPA Accelerator Program literally is going to provide the know-how on how to help smaller communities that know they have a problem but aren't sure on where it is and don't have the funding to be able to fix lead service lines. New Jersey's one of four states, including Pennsylvania, Connecticut, and Wisconsin, participating in the EPA Accelerator Program. The fast track includes persuading folks to sign up, check their pipes, and upload information towns can use to map out a plan. You can't just tell people to do these things. You have to be there with the people going through these things, showing them, talking them, and educating, letting them know why they're doing this. Snyder works with the East Trenton Collaborative and explains to families that there's no safe lead levels, especially for kids. In New Brunswick, I'm Brenda Flanagan, and J Spotlight News. That's going to do it for us tonight, but make sure you check out Chatbox with David Cruz tomorrow. David talks to former Governor Jim McGreevy, who's expected to announce his run for Jersey City Mayor tomorrow, his return to politics after leaving office almost 20 years ago. That's Thursday at 6 p.m. on the NJ Spotlight News YouTube channel. I'm Brianna Venozzi for the entire NJ Spotlight News team. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you right back here tomorrow night. The members of the New Jersey Education Association, making public schools great for every child. RWJ Barnabas Health, let's be healthy together. And Orsted, committed to the creation of a new long-term, sustainable, clean energy future for New Jersey. Life is unpredictable. Health insurance shouldn't be. For over 90 years, Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey has provided quality, affordable health plans to New Jersey residents. We have served generations of New Jersey families and businesses and are committed to driving innovations that put you at the heart of everything we do. Our members are our neighbors, our friends, and our families. We're here when you need us most. Horizon, proud to be New Jersey. Have some water. Look at these kids. How are you? What do you see? I see myself. I became an ESL teacher to give my students what I wanted when I came to this country. The opportunity to learn, to dream, to achieve, a chance to belong and to be an American.
My name is Julia Toriani Crompton, and I'm proud to be an NJEA member.